Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, and we are kicking off a series called Famous Last Words. Famous Last Words. If you want to know what matters most to somebody, listen to what they say, especially in their final moments. I think this is going to be a powerful series. In fact, when I thought about last words, I initially thought about my grandfather. My Paul. He went to be with Jesus in December of 2005, and born and raised in southeast Missouri, okay, lived in a small town called Chaffee, Chaffee, Missouri, and raised five girls. He had, speaking of ladies, he had five daughters, and he was a barber. He cut hair for a living, and so he, he charged a dollar a haircut. Can you imagine raising five girls a dollar a haircut, and he did it for, for decades. He and my, my Mimi, they were married for, oh my goodness, how long? 68 years, I think they were married for, 68 years. And I had the privilege of doing my grandfather's funeral, and I preached his funeral from his Bible. He had a Bible that was printed in 1949, and the Bible was literally just falling apart. And I always heard that if your Bible's falling apart, then your life is put together. Come on now. But if your Bible's put together, your life may be falling apart. And so I preached his funeral from his Bible. And the markings of that Bible marked the priorities of his life. Now, he wasn't famous. He didn't write any books. He didn't have any great works of art. No, didn't invent anything but he left us with something that money can't buy. And in his final moments, he and my Mimi, they were, they were in a nursing home, and they had two beds side by side. And, and as his health began to fail, you could barely hear him talk. I mean, he could barely speak above a whisper. So you had to lean in to really listen to what he had to say. But my grandmother told me that on his final night, she was in the bed next to him. She heard him at the top of his lungs. He clapped his hands and he shouted, whoopee, hallelujah. And then he was gone. And I often wonder, what did my pawpaw see in those final moments? Because he died just like he lived, with his face set toward heaven. And you know, in this series, Famous Last Words, we're going to take a look at the words of Jesus. Now, all of his words are important from beginning to end, but we're going to focus on the final words of Jesus in his final week. As his time on earth was coming to a close, he wanted his disciples to remember what was most important. Now, if you do a study on the last words of Christ and you go through the Gospels, you'll discover that a fourth of the Gospel of Matthew is dedicated to his final words. A third of the Gospel of Mark is dedicated toward the last week of Jesus. A quarter of the book of Luke, but nearly half of the Gospel of John. 
from John chapter 12 all the way to chapter 20, this is the final week of Jesus. And I'm so excited. This series is going to ramp us up to Easter. Today, I want to talk to you about words from the Last Supper, okay? The Last Supper. Now, next week, we're going to talk about words from the Garden of Gethsemane. And then on Palm Sunday, I want to talk to you about words from the cross. But then on Easter, we're going to hear from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the road to Emmaus. So this is going to be a great study. I want you to lock in. Turn your neighbor and say, lock in, because it's going to be awesome. Now, they're around the dinner table, and how many of you love to eat? (laughs) I thought so. These are my people. I told you a couple weeks ago, food makes me happy. Some of the best conversations that I have are around the dinner table with people that I love. And Jesus is having this final meal with his disciples known as the Last Supper. In fact, context, this is 24 hours away from when Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be tortured and beaten. Um, And he'll go to the cross. These are the final hours leading up to that. And he shares this sacred meal with his disciples. The Bible says in John 13, verse 4, and if you have your notes, if you're following along on the app, you'll see a roadmap of where we're going. John 13, verse 4, the Bible says, so Jesus got up from the table. He took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet. Mm, Just let that Let that sit for a moment in your mind and in your spirit. I want you to envision what Jesus is doing here. In this last supper, this significant meal, the Bible says he he begins to wash the disciples' feet and dries them with the towel that he had around him. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, oh, no, 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 Lord, are you going to wash my feet? How many of you appreciate, of all the disciples, you appreciate Peter? Peter just says what all of us think but don't have the courage to speak. Sometimes Peter will open his mouth before he's even thought about what he's going to say. How many of you have friends like that in your life? Come on, don't point to anybody in here. Peter's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Don't do this. This is a little awkward. It's a little uncomfortable. Verse 7, Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. See, a lot of times when Jesus is at work in our lives, we don't have full understanding. Can I tell you, it's okay to not fully understand what God is doing at the time. But he does require you to trust even when you don't understand. That's where the element of faith comes in. Peter didn't have understanding. In fact, according to his understanding, he didn't want Jesus to be touching his feet. Jesus says, you don't understand what's going on now, but one day you will. Look at verse 8. No, Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, if you're taking notes, the first stop that we're making in this message What Jesus says here is so profound. He says, unless I wash you. Peter, you don't realize what's happening, but it's important for me to wash you. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in what's taking place at this dinner table. 
There's a, a lot of foreshadowing. This is almost at, like an active parable. Jesus is acting out something he wants his disciples to remember. The scripture says he got up from the table. This is pointing to one day, uh, in fact, in a few hours, very soon, Jesus wouldn't just get up from the table, but he would be lifted up on a cross. The Bible says that he took off his priestly garments, his priestly robe. And in just a few moments, he would be stripped down. But before they nail him to the cross, they would strip him and they would beat him. The Bible says that he wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus would literally carry a beam, a cross beam on his back, and they would march him through the city of Jerusalem. I've been there before, the Via Della Rosa, which means the way of suffering, and he would, not just wrapped in a towel, but he's wrapped up in a piece of wood carrying this cross to Golgotha. The scripture says that he, he poured water into a basin, and it points to Jesus pouring out his life for us. Now, what's interesting here is if you were to have a meal in ancient days, in biblical days, the Jewish custom was that a hired servant of the house would wash the hands and feet of every honored guest. Well, apparently at this meal, somebody forgot to book the servant, and nobody volunteered for the job except for Jesus. Jesus steps up to serve. Soon he would become the suffering servant, and the disciples didn't understand what was happening. Jesus is washing their feet. Have you ever, you ever been a part of a foot washing service? I know we don't really do that anymore, but I grew up, and I've had some really awkward and uncomfortable moments at a foot washing service. How many of you don't even like to wash your own feet? I don't even like dealing with my feet much less somebody else's toe cheese. Come on, talk to me. <sighs> kind of gross. And think about it. The, the way that they traveled in ancient days, they walked everywhere they went. Man, their feet were dirty, nasty, smelly, and yet Jesus gets down and he begins to wash the feet of Thomas, knowing that Thomas would doubt him. He gets to, to Peter, and he's washing Peter's feet, knowing these feet will deny me. He gets to Judas. <laughs> he washes even Judas's feet, knowing very soon these feet will betray me. You see, Jesus is trying to set an example for his disciples. I didn't come in this world to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Can somebody help me today? You see, why? while most men are chasing titles, Jesus is passing out towels. You see, the texture of the kingdom is not silk, but it's, it's, it's cotton. It's a towel that it's not afraid to get dirty and messy. And, and, and think about this. In the final moments of Jesus, he was so unselfish. He's so, Jesus is about to die to carry the sins of the world, the weight of the world, the suffering that was before him, and Jesus is thinking of others. I get convicted when I read this because I recognize I'm just like the disciples. I'm so self-centered. I'm only thinking about me. Luke's gospel tells us that at this meal, they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. Come on now. 
They were thinking only of themselves. Jesus is about to suffer and die, and he's thinking about them. He washes their feet. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll see when the Roman soldier or when the, the temple guards come to arrest him, you know, that Peter slices the ear off of, of, of Caiaphas's servant. And what does Jesus do? He heals that guy. Even while he hangs on the cross, he's not thinking of himself. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Oh, man. Famous last words. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. See, the truth is we all need to be clean. Can I have a good amen? We all need to be cleaned. You know, it's interesting. When I was studying this, I thought about different hygiene habits. Growing up as a kid, we took a bath once a week whether we needed it or not. And it was on Saturday nights. You know why? Because we had church on Sunday. So Saturday night was bath night. Kids, time to take your bath. Oh, Mom, we got church tomorrow. Oh, once a week. And I never understood why Mom wanted us to. The older I got, the more she wanted me to bathe. Come on, moms, dads. You ever pick up a group of middle school boys from football practice? And when they get in your vehicle, you're like, whoo, sweet Jesus. You see, Jesus is washing their feet, but what he's giving them is a picture of, I'm not only going to clean your bodies, but I'm going to wash your souls. You see, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for being clean on the outside, but they were filthy on the inside. The truth is we all need to be clean. We don't realize how filthy we get in this world. Can I have a better amen? You know, sometimes we're rocking along, and man, some of you are working in environments that are very dark and difficult, and you don't realize the stuff that can attach itself to you. Man, we send our kids to school, and sometimes there's very challenging environments, and there's different influences that are out there, and things of this world that can easily stain their spirits and their souls. The music that we listen to, come on, the movies that we watch. Even media, social media can just be so filthy, dirty, and we accumulate all this stuff and we realize, wait a second, we need to be clean. But the truth is, we can't clean ourselves. Truth is this, you cannot, in order to be fully righteous and holy and pure before God, you cannot clean yourself. Jesus says, unless I wash you. Let me tell you a little bit about salvation. Salvation is not works-based. It's not based on what you do. You know, say, well, Mike, I'm a good person. I try to do good deeds, and I'm thankful for the motivation. But there's a lot of frustration in trying to do good because how good is good enough to get into heaven? How good do you have to be? How well-behaved do you need to become? You see, the, the Pharisees had a had a picture of being clean on the outside, but they were corrupt on the inside. And if we're talking about works and something that's works-based, we will always end up in guilt and shame because we can never be good enough. We just can't be clean enough. We don't have the capacity to clean ourselves. The truth is, you can't clean up what you've messed up. That's the truth. I can't clean up the things that I've messed up either. It's like two kids playing in a mud puddle. How many know they can't clean themselves? 
We all need to be clean. We can't clean ourselves. So the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, God saved you by his grace. Somebody say grace. When did he save you? When you believed. Somebody say believed. You see, belief is the only thing that God requires of you to receive this spiritual bath. The Bible says this, and just in case there's any confusion, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you've done, so none of us can boast about it. Somebody say, thank God for grace. God knows that we're filthy, and the only way that we can be cleaned is if he gets involved. So when we say, Lord, I need you, he washes us from the inside out. Jesus used this bowl to wash their feet, but soon he would shed his blood to wash their souls. You see, we, we all need to be cleaned. We can't clean ourselves, but we belong to the one who cleanses us. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you're not going to belong to me. And Peter's like, well, in that case, don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash my hands. I just need a whole shower. <laughs> you see, God wants to cleanse some of you. Some of you, your minds have just been so beaten down, contaminated, polluted by the things of this world. And God's saying, like a shower, I want to wash your mind. You know, the blood of Jesus I don't know how it works. It's crazy how God can take a black heart. He can apply red blood and make us whiter than snow. I don't know how it works. I don't know how a brown cow can eat green grass, produce white milk and yellow butter. I don't know how it works. But God can take you in your mess and just one drop of blood. Righteous. You don't have to leave here today with guilt and shame over the things that you've done. You can be clean from the inside out. Now look, look fast forward to chapter 14. Again, this is still part of this Last Supper discussion. He says this, chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Somebody say advocate. And this advocate, this spirit will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. This is so good. The second thing I want you to see, famous last words, same meal, same setting. After Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he talks about another advocate. He says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Who's he talking about here? The Holy Spirit. Now, consider this. In this conversation, Jesus is telling his disciples, it's better for you. You can read John 14. The whole chapter is just full. Again, chapter 13, 14, and 15. This is all one conversation at the dinner table. And Jesus, in this conversation, is telling them, it's better for you that I go away. Can you imagine being a disciple You've given up your family. You've given up your vocation. You've totally hinged all of your hope on the future that Jesus is the Messiah, and he tells you, I'm about ready to leave. I'd be like, man, where are you going? We've given up everything to follow you. How is it better for us that you're not here? 
He's saying, when I leave, I'm going to send somebody to you. And it's better for you that he is with you. I know it's good now, but it's even better when he comes. See, the, the good news is this. In the Old Testament, they had the external law. They were guided by an external law. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they didn't have something on the outside telling them when they misbehaved. They had the presence of God Almighty inside of them, giving them help along the way. Let me tell you what you need. Let me tell you what all of us need. We don't need a sage from the stage. You need a guide alongside. And you have that when you go to work. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. When you go to school, God himself, through the Spirit, lives inside of you. Now, that's not a small thing. That's a big deal. I wonder, we, we envy the disciples and say, oh, if I just had Jesus with me in the flesh, man, how much better life would be. I wonder if they look down from heaven and envy us because he's not just with us, but now the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Man, if we just have that power available to us, guess what? He's in you. Holy Spirit dwells for those of us who've said yes to Jesus. We get the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. Now, here's the role of the Holy Spirit. He serves as a counselor. How many of you need a good counselor? How many of you need wisdom, knowledge, insight, and understanding? Any of you making decisions? Nobody's making decisions. How many having to make decisions about your children? How many of you making decisions about your finances? Anybody having to make decisions about a career? What school to go to? You know what? You don't have to make those decisions uninformed because the Holy Spirit is a counselor. Somebody say counselor. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says go. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says slow. Sometimes he'll say grow. The Holy Spirit will counsel you in every situation. He's a comforter, not just a counselor, but a comforter. And this is helpful because some of us are walking through some pain right now. Some of you have suffered loss. Uh, some of you, you're grieving over a relationship that hasn't turned out the way you want to. Some of you have had to, 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 to say goodbye to a loved one, a friend or family member. Some of you are hurting in an area of your life, and as well-meaning as friends are, there's some areas of your life that only the Holy Spirit can comfort. He is a counselor. He's a comforter. You know who else he is? He's a helper. He is a helper. How many have ever just been in a season in your life where you needed help? Somebody say, help me, Holy Spirit. Oh, that's a great prayer to pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. You know what happens when you get off course? The Holy Spirit is like a spiritual GPS. You ever made a wrong turn? And that GPS was telling you, rerouting rerouting, rerouting. The Holy Spirit can reroute you and get you back on track. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit brings not condemnation, but conviction. And conviction draws you back to the Father. Uh, man, he's a, he's a helper. He's an intercessor. The Bible says that when you don't even know how to pray, Romans 8, 26, you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt so overwhelmed that you didn't even know how to pray or what to say? 
God, I don't even have the words to say, to express the, the, the pain, the agony, the sorrow, the pressure that I'm feeling right now. The Bible says in Romans 8, 26, when we don't know how to pray as we should, the Spirit himself prays for us. He makes intercession for us with groanings that can't even be uttered. For some of you that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, your prayer language is a great resource when you don't have the words in English to say. Man, you start praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude, verse 20 says, you're building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Man, it's amazing how you have a counselor, a comforter, a helper, and an intercessor to come alongside you. He's an advocate. He speaks for you. He pleads your case. He serves and is advisor. He's a defender. Listen, this is a word for somebody. Some of you are in a battle and you're trying to defend yourself. And you're trying to fight this thing in the flesh. And God's saying, trust the Spirit. He is your defender. He is your mediator. He goes before you. The Holy Spirit is the power of God Almighty available to you. Soon the disciples on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus would be resurrected and ascend into heaven, they would gather in Jerusalem in this same upper room, the same place that they had this last supper, this last meal. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, as they were praying in that upper room, that God poured out his spirit upon them and they received power. Come on, somebody say power. How many of you could use a little more power in your life? The Greek word there is dunamis, which is the same word we get for dynamite. Come on, somebody say dynamite. Come on, y'all saw what I did there? Old school, baby, old school. Dynamic power is available to you through the help of the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is so good. Jesus is telling them, hey, I've washed your feet, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. But he's telling them, fixing to go. But the Holy Spirit is coming, and it's better for you in the future. Let me give this last thought. I'm asking the band to come up. I got to hustle. Look at what it says, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Listen to what it says, verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Somebody say much fruit. And then he finishes by saying this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> last thing I want you to see is this. Jesus' famous last words in this last supper this meal together, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. You know, in the Old Testament, anytime this imagery of the vine was used, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. In the Old Testament, anytime the imagery of vine was used, it was always in a negative context. And it always referred to the people of Israel. Because Israel was that vine who never could produce. They were the unfruitful vine. Jesus is flipping this on its end. In this last moment with his disciples, he's saying this. 
Israel's not the vine. I am. I am the vine, and you're the branches. What's he saying? Everything that your ancestors did that failed, I am coming to redeem. So where they fail, I have succeeded. And if you are a part of me, if you remain in me, then I'll be in you. And as long as you're connected to the vine, I got you. You see, the devil will use anything within his power to disconnect you from God and from God's house. The devil doesn't want you to be in the house of God. He doesn't want you watching online. He doesn't want you to be in the spiritual community. So he will use anything and everything to sever you from the vine. Some of you maybe had a bad experience. Maybe you've been hurt in church. The devil wants to use that situation to disconnect you from the vine. Well, I'm not going there. Those people, a bunch of hypocrites. Never mind the sin we got in our own lives. He wants to use a, a, maybe there's a relationship. Maybe you've got attached to something that's ungodly. Maybe you're in a relationship that's not bringing life to you. You're unequally yoked, and it's pulling you away from God and from the people of God. You see, the devil will do everything he can to disconnect you and cut you away from God. But Jesus said, where Israel has failed, I have succeeded. And notice what he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But watch this. If that's true, then with him, in him, we can do all things. Somebody say all things. Whatever that impossible thing is in front of you, if you're in the vine, you're connected to Jesus, all things are possible. Can I have a better amen? Apart from him, I can do nothing. But in him, I can do all things. You receive that today? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.